arms towards the sun You feel the warmth of the rays And then you know you're alive And you don't have to be afraid Of anything cause you know You know the truth and the truth The truth is love, yes it is Cause of what they said to you Or anything that you learn From a book or from the news It's not like that cause it's a thing It is something that you do Do, 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 do Welcome to the baseline. It is a rainy Friday afternoon here in New York City, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I am so glad you are with us today. Please stay tuned. We have an incredible guest on the line with us. And we've had many incredible guests on this show. I must say I'm just amazed at the guests who have appeared on this show. I can't even believe it, what we've achieved in the matter of time that we've been on here. But today is a first because, first of all, we have an attorney on the line. So that's a new area of expertise, a new wheelhouse that we haven't ventured into on this program. But additionally, we have an incredible guest with incredible news. And that's what we're going to jump into first and foremost is we have on the line Sujata Gibson, who was the attorney who led the uh, landmark case against New York State that went all the way up to the Supreme Court against um, these absurd mandates, which cost, if I'm not mistaken, 75,000 health care workers in New York State lost their jobs on account of those what I always refer to as dehumanizing mandates. And we just scored an incredible victory and we have our guest in large part to thank for that sujata gibson are you on the line with us i am thank you so much for having me on the show well thank you for being here i'm, I'm overjoyed to have you as a guest so first of all i have many things i'd love to discuss with you but first of all i want you to take your good old american time and lay everything out for us in terms of how is this class action lawsuit initiated how did you get involved how did the trial unfold? And then tell us about the outcome. Take your time, please. Sure. Well, uh, this case, Medical Professionals for Informed Consent versus uh, Bassett, who was the commissioner of health at the time for New York State, um, uh, really uh, took a few different, uh, you know, it evolved a, a few different ways, but ultimately, uh, it ended up in state court, and we didn't go to the Supreme Court of the United States on the state court uh, version of this case. <laughs> that was the federal. But anyway, so we went to the, the New York State Supreme Court, and that uh, and the judge struck the mandate for health care workers down as arbitrary and capricious and also unconstitutional under the New York State Constitution. Um, so... Then this man, this decision was appealed by the Department of Health, and uh, the at the oral arguments, uh, the state showed up, the state's attorney showed up, and instead of arguing the merits of his case, he just said, you know, suddenly and out of the blue, 
we've decided to repeal the mandate, so really this case should, you know, this appeal should be over. And the appellate courts were, you know, the judges were sort of stunned, and they said, so are you withdrawing your appeal? And and they hemmed and hawed and said, well, well, we think you should just basically erase the lower court win. Uh, it's called vacate, because, you know, it's really not fair to us, since you're not going to be reviewing this appeal that now that it's you know, no longer a controversy because we've agreed to withdraw the mandate. Uh, we, we don't think that lower court win should stand. And, of course, we stood up and said, well, you know, you're welcome to withdraw your appeal, but we're definitely not going to allow you to uh, erase this precedent because 34,000 healthcare workers have lost their jobs as a result of this mandate, at least 34,000. That's the official number that uh, the governor uh, agrees is it's at least that many. And this could happen again, and we need to be able to stop this overreach uh, because, you know, what the court held was that the Department of Health does not have the authority to make sweeping vaccine mandates. That is the job of the legislature um, very specifically, and it violates all of our rights to allow an unelected official bureaucrat from an agency to make those kind of policy decisions that will deeply impact all of our lives. And so we needed that precedent. And so that was the argument. And finally, you know, the, the appellate court thought about it for a long time. Uh, and finally, uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, they decided to dismiss the appeal, but they did not uh, alter the decision below. So that stands as the law of New York State now, which is really a huge victory uh, for medical freedom. Absolutely. I mean, I want to thank you personally. I mean, so many of us were impacted by these unfair policies and bullied. And for there to be a legitimate victory of this magnitude is amazingly good news, in my opinion. It is. Um, you know, it's not the end of the story. We're going to have to keep fighting. Uh, obviously, um, the more precedent like this we can get, the more protected we will be next time. But this is an incredibly political fight. You know, there's a lot of very powerful interests here uh, that depend on mandates uh, for the economic success of these programs. I mean, it's really shocking how many conflicts of interest there are. And I don't know if you've been following, uh, you know, we've had some pretty good victories for the teachers also. I know you were a teacher. You worked for the Department of Education, I believe. Um, um, I was actually like more of, I was an after-school teacher. I worked for a ah, private, okay. I worked for a few different private companies in that respect. But I was in Department of Education buildings every day contributing right. to and so you were probably, you know, or, you know, I don't know if you were shut out, but, you know, almost everyone was, was shut out of, uh, you know, thousands of, of educators. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I lost job. my job of 20 years, yeah. effectively. Um, yeah. And, you know, I just found that to be absurd because the same company that was suddenly pressuring me to take an experimental medical intervention certainly didn't provide me with health care. And actually right. didn't give me a raise for many, many, many years. I'd worked for the company for over 10 years. I asked politely, could I ask for a raise? And they said, sorry, <laughs> we don't have any money. 
while they were building a huge facility with like a swimming pool and like a recording <laughs> studio and an indoor jungle gym and like it, this massive multi-million dollar facility. I said, could I, could I ask for a small raise? They said, no, sorry, we don't have the money. I said, could I get a one quarter raise just as a symbolic gesture to keep up okay. with the increase in the train fare to get here? No, sorry. So it's kind of a power imbalance when you turn around and say, oh, now we need you to take this medical intervention to return to your right. job. Uh, and, and as you pointed out, it's so irrational to say that the consequence will be that you won't have health insurance at all. <laughs> you know? right. They're saying this is a public health initiative, and then they're just stripping tens of thousands of people of health insurance. That happened to the healthcare workers, too. They were shut out of their profession. You know, many of them had to move out of state because they were they couldn't even get health insurance. They couldn't work at any health care facility in the whole state. Um, and, and similarly, in New York City, these mandates covered everyone, as you know. So it's not like you could just even go to a private school. Which From heroes to zeros. To exactly, heroes to zeros. And it... And it, and it was so, uh, and is, because it's not over, we're still fighting uh, the Department of Education because they also repealed their mandate uh, a, right around the time as we were going to our oral arguments in federal court uh, for those cases. Uh, they also showed up there and said this should be moot because we're repealing our mandate in a couple days. So that's their same argument in New York City, and the appellate court hasn't made a decision there. Hmm. But... Um, but in those cases, I had to have three federal judges. I had to, you know, make a motion for three different federal judges assigned to the case to step down because of how much Pfizer stock they own. Wow. Um, and, you know, two of them did. Uh, now, the third one was then assigned and, and actually, apparently, according to her financial disclosures, owned even more Pfizer stock than any of them, uh, and she didn't. She didn't feel there was a conflict. Maybe she sold the stock. Maybe she didn't. It's unclear. But, you know, she did then dismiss the case, even though we had already gone to the Court of Appeals previously, and they said we were likely to succeed and had, you know, undone the initial denial of relief. And they said we, we do have constitutional claims. So it was pretty shocking that she then just dismissed the case after refusing to step down. Right. Well, let me ask you, uh, you've mentioned that we have more work to do, and I'm certain of that. How would you describe the legal landscape moving forward? What are some of the things that we should keep an eye on? What are some of the battles ahead? Um, what do you see on a national scale? And if you could, globally, I mean, there is the idea that we've right. violated Nuremberg precedent through these actions. So where, where yeah. do we go from here? Give us a, a layout, if you could, from your point of view. Um, I think it's really important that we don't let this all just get swept away and forgotten. You know, it gets, you know, as things ease up and people's lives maybe go back to normal-ish and they just start to try to rebuild and there aren't as many mandates, um, it's easy to, to take the focus off. But we need to hold everybody accountable. So we need to, you know, we need to keep going with the litigation that we do have for all the people that were harmed and really press, you know, having some real consequences for this. I agree. Um, and then also, 
you know, also keep going in terms of, of activism and keeping the word up, because this is not the end of this story. It's, it's not the end of this litigation, but it's also not the end of this story. It's very clear this is what I would call the end of the beginning, right. phase one. I, I and I think we correct. need to be, you know, vigilant, because there were so many wholesale just destructions of our most basic constitutional rights and freedoms, our most sacred human rights were just thrown out the door. And so many good people didn't say anything. Yeah, and, seriously. And didn't, you know, it was like sort of the fog and shock of it all, of all the propaganda and all the, you know, fear around the, the virus and, and everything. But, I mean, there was a poll in New York City not like I think it was in 2022 after we realized the vaccine doesn't even stop transmission like for sure we realized that there was a poll of Democrats and it was like some really scary percentage of Democrats wanted to still jail and take away children from unvaccinated people wow like I think it was like 70 percent or 80%. Each category was different, but they were, I mean, it was really high percentages. And it was so, it's so frightening how fast that happened. You know, even, even after we found out that the, there is really no possibility of stopping transmission with these vaccines, people still felt that way. People were still saying that, you know, unvaccinated people shouldn't be treated for heart attacks. If they end up in the hospital, they should die. And, and look I what's mean, happening was, now. Yeah. Yeah. In I know. terms of heart right. attacks. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I, I can't believe it. I have to tell you, uh, Ms. Gibson is, you know, I, I feel like I live in the twilight zone now. I've, I've realized, I came to that realization. My life is now in the twilight zone based on these events that happened. I just can't yeah. believe how people stood idly by. And there were so many people who I knew to be champions of human rights in every other situation who yeah. are suddenly going along with this narrative. And, you know, there was varying degrees of it. Some people became what I call the foot soldiers of the narrative. And they were like, you know, foot soldiers and attack dogs and very hostile to anyone who wasn't complying. And then you have people who... They said, well, I support the vaccines, and I'm pro-science and pro-vaccine, but I don't support the mandates. But they would never speak out publicly and say that they don't support the mandate. I never saw someone really say that that I could recall. They said, well, I, I support this vaccine, but I'm against the mandates. I think I remember seeing one person at an actual protest. Um, I think it was like an MTA worker or something ripped up his vaccine card. He said, I'm vaccinated, and, and I, but I support people's right to make a decision. But in general, there were so many people who personally said they disagreed with the mandates, but did not say this anywhere publicly. And these are people who are otherwise very outspoken people. I mean, what would you describe in terms of some of your observations, as far as the strange effects on our culture, on our society, and the ch- and how it's, you know, it's torn families apart, as a caller last week pointed out, and many people have experienced ended friendships of many, many years. Right. I mean, what, what is your experience with some of that? Did you, were you protected from some of that being an attorney and playing sort of an objective role in, 
in a legal process, or did you experience what many others experienced in terms of just having friends and family turn on you in some cases? To some extent, I had already um, kind of crossed that threshold by speaking up for people's right to choose on vaccines some years earlier. Mm. I've been in this fight a long time. Oh, excellent. And when I started speaking publicly about this, I think around 2015 or 2016, about how, you know, at that time we had a religious exemption for children in schools. That's where the main mandates were, were for schools. Um, but the religious and medical exemptions were becoming increasingly um, narrow, and there were really unconstitutional and crazy things going on. You know, I started to go with parents to their they'd have these hearings, and it was like a heretic tribunal, you know, like they'd, they'd have all these people from the school sitting around and grilling these parents about why they think they know what God wants, you know, like, do they think they're some kind of Messiah, do they, you know, just really offensive questions asking about their personal sexual histories, like, you know, parents in almost every one of these uh, interrogations about their religious beliefs would break down sobbing at some point. They felt so violated. Uh, this is their sacred personal religious beliefs. You know, we live in a country that's supposed to tolerate a great diversity of religious ideas. You're supposed to have your right to have your own personal religious beliefs. The government is not supposed to be entangled with it. You know, their question really should be limited to, is there some obvious reason why you seem insincere, like, and this is fake? But other than that, like, they're not supposed to be haranguing people to see if they're committing heresy, essentially, which is what they were doing. Mm. Um, and so I started to talk about it, and it... Um, and it really, you know, it upset a lot of people to even talk about these violations of basic constitutional rights. Um, uh, you know, it's such a uh, such an issue. And then, you know, I started to represent people with medical exemptions who were being told by their doctors that their kids couldn't safely take another vaccine or, you know, a vaccine, depending on what the reason was, and the school principals were overruling them. I represented families who had already lost one, or in one case, more than one child to proven vaccine death and been compensated by the U.S. government as a proven you know, vaccine death. And the other children who were just as vulnerable, who you know, multiple specialists said couldn't take the vaccine, were being denied a medical exemption by school principals who had no medical training whatsoever and just simply would say, we don't think this is a good enough reason. Wow. And then, you know, they, then they, the, the consequence is pretty extreme. They can't go to school anywhere in New York State. Hmm. Not a pri private, not public. I mean, these families, their lives were completely upended. Many of them had to move, and, you know, many didn't have the resources. Everything they knew here was here, and they had to leave or start homeschooling and, you know, leave their jobs and figure out what to do. It was horrific. Yeah. A lot of these children have special needs. Mm -hmm. A lot of them have been vaccine injured, right. and that's been documented, and they, you know, they need services that the school can provide, but the school won't provide them services. It's inhumane, and I just, so yeah, you, I mean, you were asking about the consequences, sure. I mean, I faced 
consequences like anyone did for talking about this stuff during COVID. But I had, to some extent, already <laughs> come, you know, started talking about this and, and started to realize that there, you know, that 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 that's going to carry some stigma. Well, you actually you lead me to another question, which is in regard to the pre-existing mandates before COVID came about, you made reference to the school mandates. And I myself have two young children. They've received some basic vaccines. Um, I've been vaccinated myself. I was not a quote unquote anti-vaxxer before Mm -hmm. this whole event. But I have to say, I've come to question vaccines in general. And as Aaron Kiriati pointed out in a discussion I heard when he was a guest on the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation weekly talk about, I don't know, a month or so ago, uh, right before Steve Kirsch was my guest, he he, um, mentioned that, Kiriati mentioned that uh, it's very strange. And he noticed for a while that the way the vaccine conversation was being policed, as he put it. And um, I, I, can we now, after what's occurred with these COVID vaccines, can we start retroactively reversing some of these mandates? Because, uh, you know, people made this argument that, oh, well, we've always had mandates. Maybe they weren't right, right in the first place. Maybe that's something right. that should be reversed. Yeah. Just because something has existed doesn't mean it should continue to exist if it is harmful. So, you know, what do you think about that? I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I've heard there are several advanced societies, I believe in Japan, I've heard they do not have vaccine mandates to the same order that we do in this country. I've heard it's the same in the UK. I'm not certain about vaccine policies around the world, but I believe there are... I mean, there's tons of countries that don't have mandates. Right, okay. And are those countries being wiped off the face of the map? You know, is, no, has everyone died of polio? So, you yeah, know, it, it really, I think we really need to ask the question, when you're injecting me with something, what are you protecting me from? You know, as a matter of fact, Absolutely. I had a friend yeah, and, who and, called and, me hysterically from the South when COVID was happening and, you know, they, they were, they were amp- ramping it up every day. And he said, you have to get vaccinated. You don't know what's going on. People are dying. I'm in Alabama. The hospitals are filled. And I said, but I'm fine. I'm not sick. You know, what are you protecting me from? You can't just jump in everyone's face and terrorize everyone. What is the what is the risk? What is the benefit? Is it safe? Is it effective? Is it necessary? Basically, the three questions. So do, is it's there any the chance for us questions to... questions of medicine. I mean, we're absolutely... Right. You know, I've, I work a lot with Children's Health Defense. Uh, and I should say, Children's Health Defense is the reason we were able to bring that health care lawsuit. They totally partnered with me. They were, you know, backing the suit every step of the way. Um, so, and I, uh, you know, and Bobby Kennedy really played a big part in that as well. He, uh, he and I actually brought the first version of the lawsuit in federal court together as co-counsel. Um, and he was running for, for office, uh, or just about to, when I brought the, you know, took it into state court. But uh, they've really been instrumental, and that is absolutely uh, something that we continue to fight for, and we have various ideas, and there may be more, you know, maybe more possible now to, to challenge some of these mandates or at least to expand the exemptions available under them um, because there is more willingness to kind of look at this issue. Uh, all we're asking is that people actually look at the issue. You know, instead of just making a lot of assumptions or, 
or just having a knee-jerk issue, you know, just look at it. What is the real justification? Half the vaccines on the schedule are admitted to be non-sterilizing, which means that like the COVID vaccine, they can't stop transmission. They're only supposed to be for personal benefit. Right. I mean, some of them, like tetanus, is only, like tetanus isn't even a contagious disease. It's right. a personal, you know, so I'm not saying that people shouldn't get vaccinated. You know, I'm just saying that there's no justification for mandating this. Right. And, you know, the other ones uh, I could go through, the reasons why mandates don't even make sense from a public health perspective either. But the, but the point is that especially people who want to take these vaccines should be fighting against mandates because you will never have a safe vaccine if you take away choice and you take away liability, which is what the vaccine companies have achieved. Uh, uh, they have zero goodness. liability. That because the government signed a deal where if a child dies or somebody is injured, they can't sue the vaccine manufacturer no matter how negligent or reckless or willful they were. They have to go through vaccine court, like my client, who I told you two children and their family died. They have to sue the, you know, and prove their case to the federal government, and then the taxpayers pay that payout for the death, which is capped at $250,000 per dead child. Wow. Um, and it is, you know, so they have zero incentive from a liability uh, perspective to keep these vaccines safe. So then the only, and then they have no checks and balances because the agencies that are overseeing them are revolving doors with them and have notorious conflicts of interest. They are essentially... Captured. Also, mar partners, literal partners in the patents of the vaccine, so they're making their money from them. And then the only third rail is consent. If people had to consent to take them or not, they would have to work a little bit to convince people that they're safe or do something if people were getting injured. But they've taken those that that last protection away too by mandating this. So there's no ability to meaningfully opt out. They have a captive market. You have to have all children get these. I think in some places it's up to 72 different injections over the course of their childhood um, if they want to have any kind of regular life. Have you, and so have people you... who want to take a vaccine, I would say especially should be up in arms about mandates. And say, you know, this has That's to a be a choice. Point. We have to hold them accountable. That's a great point. Are you familiar with the work of Dr. Paul Thomas? A little bit. Um, I haven't. I haven't followed as closely as I, I should. I'll. I'll make a note of it. Right. I mean, I've. I've just seen an interview with the gentleman. I haven't uh, followed him closely, but I mean, basically, he had a private. Or he has, I believe, he's a practicing uh, pediatrician, and he had a large practice, and he didn't pressure people to take vaccines. He allowed people to make their own choices for their families. And over a period of time, according to his own recollection, his own account of his own data, his own, uh, you know, records of his own patients, he looked at the heavily vaccinated, the moderately vaccinated, and the unvaccinated. And it turns out, according to his observations, the unvaccinated children were clearly the healthiest children. And the children who were heavily vaccinated generally had a variety of quote-unquote inexplicable health problems but it seems that there are others who are uh, venturing to say hey you know what 
a lot of these inexplicable, again, inexplicable medical problems that people have at various points in their life. Yeah, it goes back to those vaccines they gave you. Now, I don't say that that's, I'm not saying that that's correct. I'm, I have no medical expertise. I'll make that clear a hundred times, uh, you know, a day. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a doctor. I'm not giving medical advice. When people would say to me, you're not a doctor. I say, well, I'm not trying to give you medicine. So that doesn't right. matter. I'm trying to protect I think my own sovereignty. Safety questions is a very different thing. And so uh, Dr. Thomas's study is only one example of that same finding. There are some real questions. We have never tested this whole schedule. You know, we're just adding and adding and adding to it because it's such a profitable thing. Each one you add is another you know, billion doctor. dollars for. <laughs> and so, and and nobody's stopping and saying, "Wait a minute! Like, is this what are the actual effects of this? Like, and not just on the, you know, whether you get sick from that virus, but like there have been some some really disturbing tests. Uh, there's one I think Dr. Abby, uh, Dr. Abby, and um, who was an African, uh, he was in Africa working on. Uh, He's from the U.S., and he was for decades working on vaccines in Africa and was very committed to vaccines, and then he did this kind of test uh, on vaccinated and unvaccinated girls uh, and boys in, I can't remember which country, and he thought it was going to come out to show that, like, you know, overall mortality was dramatically decreased for those who had been vaccinated. Mm -hmm. But it was actually shockingly the other way. It was like 10 times, you're 10 times more wow. likely if you were a girl who was vaccinated to die of everything else than measles, basically, um, or tuberculosis. Or it might have been, um, mm, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure what, it, it, which yeah, uh, right. we can go back and it, check. which which vaccine it was. It might have been the DTaP. But anyway, so you you weren't getting those three viruses as much maybe that the vaccine prevented against, but you were dying of everything else. Uh, and so there's pretty alarming data, and this has been replicated in other studies where you're starting to see that there may be this effect on overall immunity that hasn't really been studied and, and should be studied. So again, I'm not a doctor either, and I'm not telling anyone what to do. Um, but I do think that there are real safety questions. I know that there are real safety questions because I work with children all the time who have, who have been proven to have been injured. And I don't think that these concerns are being addressed or monitored or taken seriously. And we can't just leave it up to the vaccine manufacturers. They're all, every single one of these companies is a convicted felon. And their felonies have been for covering up drug injuries. They can't be trusted to police themselves. They will not do it. So I, I do think we should be asking questions. Well, speaking of that, could you clarify that a little bit? Because I was under the impression that Pfizer was involved in the largest settlement in the history of the Department of Justice. And then recently, this uh, baby powder settlement with Johnson & Johnson, um, that was like a whopping $13 billion or something uh, or compared to, I guess, Pfizer was like $2.3 right. billion or something. So it's like, is, is it, are, are these different courts? I get very confused about the law and the different courts and whatnot. Like, well, was that a yeah, is that I a mean, Department they, of Justice case against J&J uh, &J, or is that a different jurisdiction? I think it's 
think that that is a federal case. It might have been from the Department of Justice. But, you know, the thing about all these other products are consumers can bring a lawsuit because they don't have that blanket liability that vaccines do. So when you bring your lawsuit, you're then able to get discovery, and you can get those internal memos that say, we know this baby powder is killing babies, but we're going to keep offering it anyway. And then, you know, you can you can get them. But with vaccines, we're not allowed any discovery. We can't get their records. So, yeah, Pfizer has been has settled multiple lawsuits like this. This is not the only one, but but they're not the only company. Merck, which one of the largest vaccine manufacturers for childhood vaccines, um, they're behind the Viox uh, settlement, for example, where they were shown to have knowingly kept Viox on the market, even though it was killing people. They had internal memos saying that they wanted to destroy any doctor who tried to speak out, and they had whole plans for how to do it. They were covering up the deaths. Brandy uh, I mean, these people are are not to be trusted. <laughs> it's not like they just suddenly change into angels as soon as they're talking about vaccines. Like, this is an... Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I, I just say people just took their thinking caps right off. I refer to them as the formerly astute that they choose right. to not regard enormously important information like the criminal backgrounds of these companies, like the non-liability factor. Again, I never saw someone say, I support vaccines, I'm pro-science, etc., but the non-liability thing is not right and we should change that. It was like if you bought into it, you had to buy in hook, line, and sinker. Amazingly, there are, that is changing. And to bring it back a little to the, the lawsuit for the medical professionals, one of the things I love about the group Medical Professionals for Informed Consent, which is comprised of thousands of doctors and nurses. Everyone write that name down, by the way. Look it up. Yeah, <laughs> Medical like. Professionals for Informed Consent is not everyone in the group. You know, some of the people are vaccinated for COVID. It's not like they have a uniform stance of what one should do. Right. But they all agree that for all of our sakes, that, you know, informed consent is a fundamental principle of medicine and a fundamental human right. right. And they absolutely cannot support um, these mandates, even for healthcare workers. And so I, I really appreciate their work because there's, especially people in healthcare, for them to speak up is career suicide. Um, it has been so difficult. I mean, laws have even been passed in some states to uh, penalize medical professionals who deviated from whatever, you know, Fauci We had was Dr. Merrill Nass on this show who lost her medical license in the state oh, of yeah. Maine. Yeah. And that was like a kangaroo court. I, I watched some of those proceedings. It was awful what they did to it, her. It's She's disgraceful. A dedicated, you know, lifelong, <laughs> amazing doctor who's never had any kind of complaints or write-ups. None of her patients complained. This was all hit job by the state of Maine. By the, by the and, and for people know. to not understand the magnitude of that and to understand that something is very serious that's going on here when this type of thing is happening, I mean... I, that's what this show, by the way, is dedicated to the medical freedom conversation. And Wonderful. I know many artists. I'm a performing artist myself. I've had the honor of working with many great artists. But I will make it perfectly clear. If you're not on the right side of this issue, you're not welcome on this show. 
because yep. I'm not going to water down this show. And I think it's too serious. I have two young children myself, and I'm very concerned for the world that they're inheriting. I think we're entering some sort of biosecurity technocracy kind of thing, and I don't like it. I would like people to have the option of being human beings in the old-fashioned sense. Um, I would like to ask you uh, as well, I don't know if this would factor in legally, but I think it should also be added, in addition to the dehumanizing nature of the mandates in and of themselves, we also have to remember people were prevented from working leading up to the mandate. So, you know, I'd been out of work for a year. Then I'd been out of work basically for two years. And upon trying to return to work, oh, you need to take a medical intervention before you return to work. So it was a medical, uh, you know, intervention that was being forced or coerced on people who already had their backs against the wall. And that's a big population that is not really getting considered because it's always like either you're pro or anti and there are a large number of people a large number of people in this country in the city and in the country and I'm sure in the world who took this because they were pressured to they didn't want to they didn't feel good about it and it was simply they were victims of coercion many of these people have children to feed and literally were put in a back against the wall situation so again even if you support this particular medical intervention you support forcing it on people and basically right. terrorizing people in this manner, saying you're going to be homeless, you can't feed your kids unless you do what we tell you to do, and it just happens to be a thing that's extremely profitable for major corporations. Like, right. I'm, I'm calling everybody out on this because people tried to, again, they bullied us, they harassed us, they had all kinds of names to call us. You're an anti-vaxxer, you're a Trump supporter, you're a right-winger, you're this and you're that. And it's like, no, it doesn't make you any of those things to ask basic questions about something that people want to inject into your body. I mean, what could be the most fundamental right we have is sovereignty over our own body. I agree. I mean, there is no humanity left when you can't control your own body. I agree. And I and I want and, and you said it perfectly right there. And I just really want to explain to people if you are a so-called freedom fighter and you don't understand what Sujata Gibson just said, please retire from so-called freedom fighting. We don't need this kind of freedom fighting. We need people who have an esteemed vision of the human being. And I, I insist that if you supported these mandates and you think you're an activist, you're not an activist in a way that I appreciate and you're not an activist in a way that I think the world needs because we need more sovereignty and more human dignity, not less. Right. And, and there's real consequences. I mean, I think what people don't understand is that this has ramifications way beyond the vaccine context. So, for example... Because of this case in 1905, the Supreme Court said that it was okay for this uh, Reverend Henning Jacobson to have to take a a smallpox vaccine um, or pay a $5 fine. He had to choose one or the other, and that that was constitutional. But because of that case, Jacobson, in 1905, the Supreme Court has since justified horrific things. For example, forced sterilization of women was justified 
uh, based on Jacobson. And what the Supreme Court said is if we have the power to, uh, you know, forcibly inject you, we have the power to cut your fallopian tubes. And, um, you know, in that case, the court held that just because you were a so-called imbecile or of bad moral character, the state could, for whatever reason it wanted, forcibly sterilize you. Eugenics. Yeah, it's eugenics. So eugenics is directly related to this issue. So when you start to allow encroachment on people's bodies in this way, um, especially in the way that it's being done with vaccines, where almost no justification has to be made, you know, the state is just presumed to have a good reason, um, you're looking at a very bleak society that is probably, you know, probably every right that you take for granted is at stake if that is at stake. And so, I mean, I just, I do hope that people understand these connections. We can't, we're living in a time when it is so, it feels like WWF wrestling. Oh, and I've it's said that really for years. shocking. You know, people just take these teams and then they're in lockstep on their team, whether it's right or left. And where are the free thinkers, the people that are saying, I'm going to look at each issue and I'm going to, apply the same standards to people I don't agree with, you know? Yeah, I believe in free speech, so I think everyone should have free speech. I believe, you know, uh, that that people should have control over their bodies. Like, I, I just don't understand. There, there's this, this idea that you can get away with just having things go for your side. Right, and um, I also don't understand then, how you can make statements that are just nonsensical statements on face value and no one questions it like remember when justin trudeau was passionately saying well you have a right to be unvaccinated but you don't have a right to get on a plane or get on a train again and put vaccinated people at risk it's like well didn't you just say your vaccine doesn't work in making this you know know. this grand i know it's so it's so circular they um and they ignore the basics of human rights and constitutional law. There's a long, long ago, you know, the courts and the international community said that the right to bodily autonomy, to informed consent, means the right to not be coerced, as well as the right to not be forcibly injected, you know, held down and forcibly injected. You can't be coerced either. You need free and informed consent right. for any medical procedure that is done on you. That was a very disturbing trend, too, is a number of people who said to me directly, and I saw it said to others, no one forced you to do anything. It's like, yeah, I understand I wasn't forced. I was coerced. Coercion right. isn't okay either. Right. If we, if I no. was forced, yes, it would be a different situation. But And another thing I would say is when I was alluding to this um, violating the Nuremberg Code and and just general, you know, human rights and making any reference to, uh, you know, I remember a few people say, oh, how dare you make reference to the Nazis? This is nothing (laughs) like that. And I'll say, look, I'm not going to just go and loosely compare everything to Nazism. I think that's just historically not a very good understanding of history and it's irresponsible. However, if you're opposed to Nazism, you're supposed to oppose even a lean in that direction. So, no, we're not in a full-blown Nazi society yet, but we're not supposed to be going in that direction at all. And that's, well, that's my point. That's the whole point of Nuremberg 
was to put into place rules that are a floor that can't be violated. And it's absurd to call that an equivalency. It's not an equivalency. You're just talking about an actual law that's been codified that says that you have to have informed consent and that it is a violation of your most basic human rights and constitutional rights not to. And that's been not only codified in the Nuremberg Codes, but also in a number of U.S. statutes. Hmm. Um, And when I have put forth that argument in court, uh, I put it uh, in on a case in in federal court uh, a couple of years ago, and the judge even said, well, this is probably a Nazi equivalent. You know, you're making a false equivalency with the Holocaust. I didn't say anything about the Holocaust. I am not saying there's a Holocaust happening. Like, none of those things were said. What I said is there are these statutes that say that we're entitled to informed consent, and this goes back to Nuremberg, and this is a most basic right that we get to enforce because there are statutes. And when a court can't even take that, and has to say, oh, no, until six million people have been murdered, we're not going to enforce a right. I mean, there is no equivalency being made. We're just talking about human rights. And I think anybody who's thinking will realize that. Um, It's a very uh, manipulative and uh, false argument to make to suddenly attack somebody for, for advocating for human rights. Outstanding points. So... Normally, we like to, if we can, we like to take callers on this show. Would you be open to taking a call or two? Oh, of course. Okay, excellent. Well, before we take callers, and guys, if you want to call in and talk to the outstanding Sujata Gibson, the number is 888-874-4888. So if you have a question lined up, please give us a call. Again, this is one of the types of episodes where I really don't want to... Um, open the floor for just general philosophical statements. If you have a particular question for our guest, who is obviously a very skilled attorney, then please try to present a focused question. But let me ask you one more question, if if I may, before we take calls, uh, Sujata, which is, um, I spoke to Steve Kirsch, and I was saying, why can't we just put a great legal dream team together and just roll up our sleeves on behalf of the American people and say, nope, this law, goodbye. This law, goodbye. We're changing this around. We're changing that around. We're going to fix this stuff. Like, can we do that? I mean, I'm, I'm saying this in the, you know, from a total layman's perspective, but you and Aaron Siri and some of the other medical freedom champion attorneys, why can't we just get this dream team together and, uh, and just start righting these wrongs. Steve Kerr says it's the government that's stopping us. The government is preventing us from the legislation that we need. What do you think? Are, are you um, optimistic that we can make some serious changes? I accuse Steve of being somewhat pessimistic, although I noticed a few days after our conversation he was involved in um, some sort of meeting of attorneys, so, uh, or like, you know, the legal, about the legal front of our movement. So despite his so-called, you know, what I call pessimism. He's moving forward with the legal option. What do you think about that? Do we have legal options? Do we have any reason yes. to be optimistic here? I mean, that, that's, that's absolutely what we're doing, and we have had successes. You know, we had this... I would really urge people to support, you know, like Children's Health Defense, uh, especially because they are absolutely focused on supporting strategic litigation, mm. um, 
in these in these efforts. They're instrumental to hundreds, if not thousands, of lawsuits all over the country that have had a lot of uh, different important successes. Um, and Aaron Siri is a wonderful attorney too, uh, and has had some great wins. And we all kind of do collaborate with each other too. Um, but that's absolutely where we're headed. Like we just had this healthcare workers win, but I also just won a case for ten teachers. Uh, who were reinstated with back pay when they, they said that their religious rights were uh, violated, and, and we have plans to ex- try to expand that to uh, to more. Um, you know, we're, we're very systematic, and we're absolutely looking at the childhood schedule and other things. Health freedom is very important, and we absolutely need a litigation team or multiple good litigation teams that are vigilant and that are there so that people know they can't get away with it. Um, but I just want to say something really quick about that. Uh, another thing that I do when I'm not litigating is I teach part-time at Cornell Law School. And I'm not, uh, nothing I say, by the way, is, is reflective of Cornell's position on anything. It's just my own beliefs. But I teach in the uh, area of protest defense and civil, uh, civil rights. And I really think that litigation has to go hand-in-hand with the movement. And the reason that we're able to have all these wins now is because there were so many of you freedom fighters, real medical freedom fighters out there who stood up at great personal expense and said no. And that was enough to stop this machine. You only need, like there's empirical evidence, you only need 3.5% of the population to sustain a resistance to an unjust law to be able to have the ability to overturn it. Right. So it really goes hand in hand. Absolutely. Well, that's very inspiring. And I believe we have a caller on the line. Kyle, do we have uh, somebody lined up? Let's see. We have on the line. I'm not sure who it is. I didn't get I didn't get my message, but put them on. Give me. Sorry. Oh, there we go. I don't know. There was a little delay in the message I got. We have Noel on the line. Noel. Hello. Hey, Noel, brother, give give us some fire. You always have a great call. Well, thank you. Um, I have to kind of pull rank on you, Miss Gibson. I met you on Staten Island, and I interviewed you for WBAI. Do you remember that? I do. Hi. Nice you- to talk with you. Yes, nice to talk to you again, too. I have your number and information. I'll call you at another time. But I just wanted to say uh, that I was looking through the MTA, the New, uh, New York City Transit, and they're still saying for the people who work in their clinic that it's mandated for them to still have uh, a vaccine, but everybody else is exempt. What do you say about that? Wow. Well, I mean, I'd have to look more at it, but I mean... It sounds like that there could definitely be uh, a challenge to that, especially at this point. It's just completely arbitrary. Yes, and the, the, the last thing I just wanted to mention, too, is that Kathy Hochul, Eric Adams, and uh, the Brooklyn Borough President, um, they, both ha- they all have backgrounds in law. How can they, uh, like earlier during the conversation you mentioned, that um, you are not doctors, and, and the host said as well, so how can they suggest people to take a vaccine and they're not doctors? Right. Right. <laughs> and so passionate that this is exactly what you need. Exactly. <laughs> how can you tell me what's best for me? That, they're I, not these people's doctors. So one thing that we have 
are supposed to have constitutional protection around is not only our own rights to make medical decisions, but also the sanctity of the doctor-patient relationship Uh to work with a doctor of our choice to make medical decisions with that doctor and not have some white doctor be able to overrule them or second-guess them or... And there's been a lot of cases that have protected that relationship, and suddenly that's also gone out the window. The Department of Health is not treating you. It would be malpractice to, you know, make a prescription for you or tell you what you're supposed to do for your health when they don't have an individual relationship with you. They have no idea what's happening. Um, so, so this is a great question. You know, this is not, it's, it's medically unethical, and it's unlawful. They can make right. generalized recommendations, but they cannot, should not make mandates when they don't know what's going on with people's personal health. And they don't have a background. You know what I'm saying? No, Ms. Yes. Gibson, you're a lawyer, but I'm not, I cannot ask you to work on my Chevy's <laughs> transmission. <laughs> yeah, you definitely right? better not do that. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Well, thank um, you, Noel. Yeah. You, you brought some great, you made a great point, as always. Um, thank you, sir. We have another call. We have Alex on the line. Is Alex with us? Yes. Oh, there we are. Alex, how are you doing today? Oh, oh pretty good. Um, I do have a question. Please. Uh, at university for a while. Now, back in the mid-90s, uh, they were having protests outside of Rample College, and they intentionally made the protests during school hours, or when you had most, most people had classes, if you missed class, you, you know, you miss a class. And so you could protest, but you would miss class. And then at another situation... I was at uh, Boston, up at Harvard University, and they said, well, you haven't been vaccinated, so we have to deregister you. You have to comply with the vaccine mandate. If you don't, you know, you can lose your registration status. So I do understand what, why it's not a good idea to force people, just like that law. You said the person that got fined $5, that they shouldn't be doing that that they should force people to be vaccinated or you should pay attention to that, preventing that from happening. But I mean, they have a lot of say in a lot of things. How do you like get through to something like that? Well, that's the point is that, you know, under the Nuremberg code, uh, one of the rights that we're supposed to all have a human right, international human right is not just the right not to be forced, but the right not to be coerced. So someone shouldn't be conditioning a benefit, like being able to go to school or, you know, getting your, uh, getting really any benefit on your choice of whether to get a medical intervention. Now, if there was some really compelling reason that they could prove, like let's say this was smallpox, not COVID, and you know, there was like a a raging epidemic for a few months and they knew you, you know, they had very good evidence that they could show that that you were a danger. They would make some other accommodation and we have all kinds of laws to to dictate that, like what they have to prove to, to, uh, you know, before they can exclude you. And it has to be based on real evidence and safety, not speculation. Um, But it seems like a lot of it's speculation because... The, there was no. Like, they said uh, it was it for on campus at uh, Harvard University. It was mellow, 
Halloween or something like that. It was some kind of uh, vaccine that you had to be acquired because you're living in a dormitory among other people that are international students. And so I, you know, they're like, well, this tuition is a crazy amount. I mean, you got to deregister me and then I have to re-register with a fee. So it seems like it's coercion, but no one says anything. And they make a lot of money through universities because uh, I'm up at Penn State now. And and even the schools surrounding, if you're not vaccinated, say, for example, they have clinical studies done by the FDA or, you know, sanctioned by the CDC and all the regulations of what the human subjects are, are allowed to do. So then when you hear a study on the radio about, you know, this, this nut or this uh, plant is good for your heart or your health, those people in those clinical studies have to be vaccinated in order to comply with the FDA-funded study through taxes. So yeah, no, there's all. I mean, one of the, the biggest corner. hurdles we've <laughs> faced through this pandemic is that all of these basic rights went out the window. I mean, and it wasn't just coercion to get vaccines. It was your right to have a business. You know, your right to uh, speak freely. Your right to we not have an object you. on your face. Exactly, Matt. I mean, there was so many wholesale, uh, you know, rejections of basic rights. Oh, not only that, the government was literally telling social media companies that they had to censor people and how. I mean, it's just such blatant violations of the First Amendment, of of any kind of right you could imagine. They were just taken away uh, egregiously, and people were... Uh, kind of signing on for it, and courts were very hesitant to do anything about it, especially in the beginning, because they were worried that it was a pandemic and they'd be killing people or, you know, whatever it was. But we can't just abandon our rights every time we have danger. That's the whole point of the Constitution. It is even in times of danger or supposed danger, you know, real or imagined, we are supposed to have these rights nonetheless. Right. Well, thank you for that. Um, Alex, I'm sorry. We're yeah. just about out of time. Thank you for your call. Okay. okay. Yeah. And, it's, <laughs> and doesn't seem like, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, sorry. And, uh, Sujata Gibson, I want to thank you so much for being my guest today. Um, I would love to continue this conversation at some point. Thank you so much for what you're doing on behalf of the citizens. And, um, please follow Sujata Gibson on Twitter. Okay, Um, she has great updates there. And, um, you know, just in general, it's a great way to just exchange information. Follow me on Twitter, Jeremiah Hosea, uh, J-R-E-M-I-A-H-H-O-S-E-A, Jeremiah Hosea, JeremiahHosea.com. Please check me out on Substack. And next week, we have another amazing guest. We have Jessica Rose, Ph.D., So, yeah, the hits keep coming. We just have amazing guests on this show, including today. Thank you again, Sujata Gibson. Um, Keep up the great work, and we hope to have another conversation with you at some point in the not-so-distant future. It was really my honor to be be on your show and uh, amazing company. So thank you so much. I hope to talk with you soon. Thank you. Have a great day. Yeah, I guess we're all done, right? I didn't realize.
when you walk with open arms towards me. 